Our New Testament lesson today comes from the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. I invite you to hear these words. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to act like most people in our world do. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. At one time, you, all of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment just like everyone else. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About two years ago, my throat was killing me on a Sunday afternoon, on a day we did a food packaging event with Rise Against Hunger here at the church. I could not get any relief as that day wore on. I would drink as much water as I could. I would take uh, an Advil or something like that, and I could not get any relief. My wife looked in my throat that afternoon, and she said that I better go to urgent care, that I definitely had strep throat. And when I went to urgent care and they gave me that strep throat test and I said, I'm sure it's that, I mean, you know, go ahead and give me the antibiotic, they came back with a negative test. And they said, something else is clearly wrong. And so she said, I'm going to run you a test for mono. And I said, well, I'm not in college and kissing people, so I don't know what's going on. And yet still, um, they ran the test and for sure I had mononucleosis. And then something happened. A week went by and I don't really remember what happened. I was like a zombie walking around. I tried to come out and have breakfast with the kids the next day, help out Laura a little because it was her birthday, and I don't even remember what was happening. I just remember her sending me back to bed. My throat still hurt terribly for a few days. I couldn't get any relief, and I just slept. In this passage from Ephesians, Paul states that we were like dead people walking around. Maybe kind of like someone having mono. We're going to walk through this scripture together today. Paul begins and says, At one time, you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. The problem of sin presented here by Paul is real. We have done things wrong, and those things that we have done wrong have offended God. And we say this every week and probably for many of you, even every day when you say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, we pray. But it's kind of like the word trespass has become too weak of a word 
for us. We don't get the idea that a trespass is actually going against God's very boundary for our lives and pushing against God. Maybe we need to just say it clearer when we pray. Forgive us our sins. Paul continues, you used to act like most people in our world do. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. You see, the reason why we're sinning, Paul says, is because we are under the rule of a destructive spiritual power. And we don't like this part of the verse too much. Spiritual warfare is not something we focus on very often in the Methodist tradition today. And this is part of the problem. We were created for a good and perfect relationship with God, and our sins have severed that relationship off. We are disobedient to God and have become obedient to the spirit of evil. This is why we're walking around like dead people. We are under control. The temptation to sin seemed like a good idea to us. In fact, it seems like a good idea to us, but it's actually killing us. Paul will write towards the end of Ephesians, the same book, he will say, For we wrestle not, or we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So yes, there is a battle going on for our very lives, for our very souls. Paul continues, At one time, You were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted, so you were children headed for punishment, just like everyone else. See, on our own, we weren't doing so well in this cosmic battle. We succumbed, and our will was held captive, and we followed whatever we thought we wanted, Paul writes. One time in college, my buddies and I decided it would be a good idea to have a fast food feast. We would drive through all of the local places and get their best menu item. Then after about five locations, we would sit down and eat it all together around the great banquet table. One problem, have you ever tried to eat french fries after 45 minutes? Most fast food doesn't exactly hold up to the test of getting cooled down. When we sat down to eat what we thought was our bounty, it was quite a lot less appetizing. In fact, it was pretty gross. We thought we wanted it, but it wasn't even worth the excessive calories. In this dead state, we did whatever we thought we wanted. But the problem is we didn't want the right things. Friends, we need a conversion of the mind, a reconfiguration of our imagination, for they are dead. And they want the wrong things. So Paul writes that we are children headed for punishment like everyone else. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You see, my friends, what God has done is raised us to life while we were dead. You see, when we come to this table, which I pray we will do soon enough again, one of the common responses that I use to proclaim forgiveness, that I use to proclaim pardon to you is this. Hear the good news. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That proves God's love toward us. We were dead. We couldn't begin moving the right way towards God, yet God moves towards us. And so Paul writes, you are saved by God's grace. Here's the theme of the day, the theme of this passage, indeed the theme of all of Ephesians, possibly the theme of the entire gospel. You are saved by God's grace. This is the super abundant love that God has for us. For friends, God can save us. God is powerful enough to do so, and God does save us because God loves us enough to do so. God is able to save us, and God chooses to save us. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Friends, this passage gives us a picture of what it means to be connected to Christ. We somehow become part of the journey that Jesus takes from death to resurrection and even then to ascension. Other passages in Paul will make it clear that this is mirrored actually in our baptism. The focus here, though, is on the immense status change that we experience. Because of God's grace, we move from being dead people walking around with no hope and no agency to ruling with Christ and seated with him. And God alone is responsible for this drastic transformation. So Paul can write, God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. God's love is high and deep and long and wide. It is all-encompassing, and it is for us. God was not willing that any should perish. When we are focused rightly in the Christian story, that story is always centered upon love. John Wesley said that the greatest attribute of the myriad of God's attributes, the one that stands out above all else, is love. So Paul can write, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. Once again, we hear that you are saved by God's grace. And this time we are reminded that salvation is the gift from God. Sometimes when we think about faith, we get very me-centered but the story of faith should always be God-centered. God is the subject of the verb save. It is God who saves. And we are always the object. For salvation was nothing that we could possess. It's not a reward for anything we did right. We were dead, after all. We were like God's enemy. Salvation is a gift. So Paul continues that salvation is not something you did that you can be proud of. Remember, we aren't the subject of salvation. We have not achieved anything in it. What we've achieved is opening a gift. This is God's story. 
and God is the subject of the story. In the same way, when we worship, sometimes we think that this chancel or this pulpit or this choir loft is the stage, and the congregation, or in this case, the virtual congregation, is the audience. I would love for us to think about worship entirely differently than that. In worship, we are all performers on the stage. Not just those of us up front, but all gathered, scattered and gathered wherever we are, even you from home. And we are performing for an audience of one, God. My job, music's job, prayer's job, is to help us all express this gratitude to God for the gift of God's love. God is the subject of the story. And in turn, God is the singular object of our worship. Paul finishes the text. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. Sometimes people have gotten tripped up on this verse. They think that somehow Paul has changed his mind and thinks that salvation is now about what we do. But Paul doesn't say that at all, no. No, we are the object of God's affection. God is proud of us. Because good works, doing what God calls us to do, is simply us living out the lives that we are destined to live. It is us living as alive people, rather than being controlled in our dead state. These good works that we do, they don't save us. Rather, they are the obvious living out of our salvation. Friends, the beauty and awe of the story of the cross is grace. Grace means we were dead and God found a way. Grace means that we are the object of God's affection. Grace means that we are united with Jesus in his death on the cross, made alive with him on Easter, and ascend with him to reign in glory. I was thinking about the grace of the cross this week, and a few songs came to mind. One is a praise tune in the 90s that just simply says this, When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground. Friends, I ask you today, when was the last time that you could say, when I think about the Lord? When I contemplated the grace, the very fact that I that we are the object of God's great affection. Another song came to mind from Rock of Ages. Not the first verse that you might know, but the second and third. Where the hymn, the hymn writer writes in the 1700s, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. 
foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Friends, this morning I want to ask you just one simple question. When were you last brought to your knees by the grace that Jesus offers on the cross? When were you last blown away by the inexplainable love of God? I invite you today, this week, as we get ever nearer to the cross on this journey of Lent, to contemplate for you the cross this week. Maybe that means you need to go somewhere and look at a cross, pull up an image of one. Maybe there's a cross that you might be able to hold on to. So what our Catholic brothers and sisters do well with the rosary as they hold on and remember that great love of Jesus for them. But I want to invite you this week to participate in a way that makes the love of God real to you once again. Where you cannot just go through the motions of worship or devotion or anything like that because you are blown away by the inexhaustible love of Jesus for you. And it has nothing to do with you other than the great love of God. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we love your grace. It's the only reason why we can be in relationship with you and come to you. And yet, we have a hard, hard time accepting that grace anew. Because either we feel really guilty about it and we want to give something back to you, or we feel like we don't deserve it. And God, what we ask for is the ability to accept your grace anew, to be washed over with your love, and to simply let that be. To not try to pay it back to you, to know that we cannot do that, and instead to spill over so much with your grace that it just overflows in our lives. God, I pray that would be real for each one of my brothers and sisters today who hears your words, who encounters you. And God, that we would know that it is by grace alone that indeed we are saved. It's nothing that we can do. It is your gift. Amen. Amen.